Um, I want to get into this morning's teaching, so let's go. Something crazy happened last night at midnight. Uh, it, it involved all of us. I don't know if you realize. Did you notice this? Uh, it was midnight, and uh, what happened was it became October. <laughs> How is it October? And I love it because uh, have you ever been in that conversation? Is it June already? Why are we always surprised? Like every single year it's October, and every month is roughly 30 days long. You should know, but it surprises you. But October is a lot of things. We've got our, you know, our, our, our retreats and all the stuff that's going on. But for some people, for some crazy people, it's the best month of the year because of a holiday that happens at the end of October. What is it? Halloween. Now, I can take it or leave it. What'd you say? Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. Nope. Not yet. Um, but it, Halloween. Now, I can take it or leave it. I, I like Halloween. It's fun. I've had some really good memories with my kids. Uh, some of y'all are really into it, though. Like, I got neighbors. There was, like, these zombies on a swing in my neighborhood. Right now, right now. It, it was September yesterday. They got zombies on a swing. I'm like, cool, you're ready. And so that's all cool. I know there's like conversation about Christians and Halloween and should we be involved in everything. I think everything is what you make it. You can make Christmas and Easter a pagan holiday if you want to. So do good things, shine light in dark places. That's what we do. But when you want to go get your kids some candy for free, it's a great event. And so I, I, I have good memories. I have good memories of Halloween. And um, my kids are 17 and 14 now, so we don't do all the same stuff we used to do. But uh, most of my memories in their childhood have been with a bunch of you guys, church family people, and we go down to a neighborhood in Monkey Junction, and we all trick-or-treat together. It's a lot of fun. And uh, it's, just, it's cool to watch these kids grow up through the years. And there's one particular memory that comes to mind. I think my daughter Savannah was like eight years old, okay? And everybody, everybody's neighborhood has this one guy that just goes overboard, you know? It's just like crazy. And so like they have this whole cul-de-sac. He like recruited everybody. And there's like smoke machines and there's a graveyard, like a whole graveyard. Like his family's names are on gravestone. It's insane. And there's like the guy in the bushes with the chainsaw and the Jason mask and like the whole thing, right? There's music playing. They're trying to scare the adults. And so my eight-year-old... It's not her speed, okay? And so, like, I know it's coming. We've been on this street before. But, but I don't even know if we're going to go down this cul-de-sac. We're deciding. And then I see him. He is 12 feet tall. He's dressed as Frankenstein. He's on stilts, okay? And he's got these long, and it's epic, okay? This is a legit costume. Big old plastic Frankenstein head, the bolts coming out of his neck, the whole nine yards. I'm like, okay, respect. But I think my daughter was dressed as like, I don't know, Alice in Wonderland, and she wasn't about to have it. And so I'm like, I'm looking up, and I, and I see him, and he, I see him kind of lumbering, and he kind of gets behind this big tree. And I see a shadow, and I'm walking with my little girl hand in hand, and I go, hey, bro, do not do it. <laughs> the thing you're thinking about doing, do not do it. And I see him kind of perk up a little bit. I said, listen, man, she's eight years old. She's going to be terrified. It's going to ruin my night, okay? Don't do it. And it's so funny. If you've ever seen Frankenstein get disappointed? <laughs> so, like, I see his big Frankenstein shoulders go. And then behind his big Frankenstein head, he goes, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> and so then he does the worst possible thing. He steps out behind the tree and takes his head off. <laughs> And she's like, because ah, she hadn't seen him yet. And I'm like, no, 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 just stay. Just, okay, so, so now it's awkward because I'm like high-fiving Frankenstein. He's like, it's okay, I'm a good guy. I'm like, you're not a good guy. You're a bad guy. Go back behind the tree. Oh, my goodness. Halloween is weird. Halloween is weird, but we love it and we celebrate it and we do all kinds of things. Uh, there's something about Halloween that I think highlights a part of who we are that I just want to highlight for all of us. And I think it's this. I think that we enjoy dressing up. We do. 
And I don't mean this in a negative way. I think we enjoy, I'm wearing a DeMarcus Ware jersey. If you're, if you're a real one, you know who DeMarcus Ware is. You don't have to be a Dallas Cowboys fan to know that this dude will tackle you, okay? He went to the Hall of Fame this year. On every Sunday in the fall, I will wear uh, Dallas Cowboys stuff. Why? Because they need me. They need me, right? I didn't dress right last week, so I'm trying something different this week. We'll see, right? So we dress up because we, it means something. Or maybe you've been to, like, you take your wife, your husband, and your boyfriend, girlfriend on a date, and you get all fancy. Why? Because it's, I, I don't know. <laughs> I do it, though. You've been to a prom. You've been to a wedding. It means something. It changes something about us. We act different when we dress up. And, so, and it's not all Frankensteins, and it's not all monsters with bolts out of the sides of the head and everything. But um, there are parts of us, though, that have these there's these masks that we wear, and there's these costumes that we put on, and they're not healthy, right? In fact, they're a little bit scary. They're not good for us. And so I say all of that just as an opener to get us into this new teaching series uh, that we're calling Unmasking the Monsters, Un Unmasking Our Monsters. Uh, I think there are a lot of things in our life that we, we do, ways that we act, ways that we treat people, ways that we present ourselves that are scary, then they're downright sinful, many of them. They're, they're harmful to other people. They're harmful to ourselves. And so over the course of the next four weeks, uh, just through October, as we kind of get through, just have some fun with the holiday season, you know, the, the, the Halloween holiday season, um, just to talk about some of these monsters. And I believe not only are some of these monsters dangerous for us, but, but more importantly, I think we can unmask these monsters with the truth of God. And it can change us. And it can make us better. And so we're going to talk about things like guilt, things like jealousy, things like anger, Things like greed. These are things that if we wear them too strongly, they will not only become a mask that we wear, but they'll actually become something deep inside, and they'll change us. And the big thing that Jesus offers us is the ability to remove all of that and to be who we were created to be in his image. And so today I want to unmask our first monster, and the first monster is guilt. Guilt. Now, when I say guilt, I don't know what comes to mind for you. Uh, guilt isn't always a monster. I'm convinced, actually, that some guilt is good for you. It's good. Like, there, there's like a, a, a specific fact of guilt. In the dictionary, guilt is a noun that says something like this. It's the fact of having committed a specific or implied offense or crime. You know, so you're driving down the street. I'm going too fast in the speed limit zone, and I am, I have guilt, right? I just broke a rule. And so that if a police officer came along, they'd be completely justified in giving me a ticket or telling me to slow down or whatever, right? That's guilt. It's just a fact. But there's another part of guilt that I think is, is, is pretty unhealthy, and it's actually not the intended reason for guilt, it's, it's not just something I do, it's something that I am. Not that I did something wrong, but something's wrong with me. And there's a big distinction there when you talk about guilt. We verbify guilt, guilting people. And you can make people do what you want them to do if you guilt them enough. We also will tear down our own self-image because of guilt. I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm never going to get this right. I'm never going to break this habit. I can never be a good enough dad, a good enough father. I'm never going to get the job that I, everyone says I deserve, right? And so we begin to kind of embody this fact of guilt. Sometimes maybe you, maybe you did make a mistake. Maybe you did something wrong. But we begin to embody it so that it then adjusts the actual nature of who we are. Guys, I want to qualify this. I want to tell you, you were created in the image of God. You are his precious creation, 1 Peter says. His prized possession. He loves you enough that he would come to this world as a human being and give that life for you. That's who you are. You are not your shame. You are not your brokenness. You are not your mistakes in the past. So what do we do with all of that guilt? Um, every week what I want to do to unmask the monster is I want to just kind of give like a converse truth 
to go with that. I don't know that guilt is a, a lie all the time, but a truth that will stand on top of the guilt. And this week, the response to guilt is confession. Let me tell you something about confession. Confession unmasks the oppressive power of guilt. Confession. Every week we look to the Bible for God's most important truth. And I want to get you to get your Bibles out if you will. We're going to be bopping around a lot of different places. We're going to start in 1 John. Uh, If you need a Bible, uh, we're going to eventually have some in here. We're working on getting that. But we have them out in the lobby. You could always just go get one. Bring one in as you come. If you need a good Bible, everybody should have one. And so we give them away. So there's a little shelf right as you exit the door. The main main door, just grab it, take it, put your name in the front. You can always borrow it. But I'm going to have the scripture on the screen here beside me as we get going. First John was a letter written by the Apostle John, and uh, John, John was one of the most prolific teachers of the early church. He ends up uh, in Ephesians for a while. He ends up being the longest lived um, uh, of the apostles. In fact, the, the apostle that, that outlives them all and is the only one, according to church tradition, that died a natural death, but his death was by, like, he was, he was uh, exiled to an island somewhere, and so on a place called Patmos. And so this is John, and, and he's writing about the concept of confession. And this is a very short kind of almost a proof text for this. We're going to look at a couple different places that teach us about confession. Let's look at 1 John 1 verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's just leave that up there for a second because think, think about what this is. If guilt is a fact, okay, And what we're talking about here is not just like the self-image stuff, the shame stuff that we need to maybe get therapy for or spend time with friends talking out. We're talking about the fact of guilt. Like when we go against the precepts of God, when we deny his authority in our life, when we do not honor him with our actions, like these things are are sin. They separate us from his presence. They make us, uh, well, you know, I've been wrestling with it. I don't think it separates us from his presence. I told you last week, there's no such thing as a place where God is not, okay? But at the same time, it it makes it, we, we're not making him the Lord of our life, right? So that's guilt. That's the fact of guilt. What do we do with that? And this says, if we confess our sins, that's our part. What's God's part? Well, he is faithful, and he is just, and he will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see how that unmasks guilt? What do I do with my sin? What do I do with my brokenness? I take it to God. And so I want to take a, two different, take a look at two different ways that we can confess. And the first one is this, just that we need to confess to God. We need to confess to God. What does that look like? I mean, I'm talking about like we, we offer this moment every, uh, every week at the end of the teaching. I mean, just sit and pray. Just talk to God. God, this is where I am today. This is what I've been going through. We confess to God. He's faithful. He's righteous. And he will forgive us and purify us of our unrighteousness. And we confess to God for a reason. And this is key, okay? Like, I think this is probably the big takeaway for most of us today. We confess not for forgiveness. What? Not for forgiveness, though that's part of it. We confess for transformation, for change. The reason we go to God and say, I've got this guilt, I've got this fact of guilt that I've got to deal with, and I want you to unmask this for me, is because we, we want to change. We desire to change. So, This is good, but it can be a problem. And this is a problem that a lot of Christians fall into. Maybe you've been in this boat. The boat is this. I mess up. I sin. I find myself opposed to God. I confess, right? I go to God. I pray, Lord, forgive me of my sin, right? That's the thing that that you might try to do. Then tomorrow, I go right back to the mess I was in yesterday, and I sin some more. But then what do I do? Well, confess my sins. He is faithful. He will forgive me of my sins and purify me of all unrighteousness. Cool. Go back to God. God messed up again. 
And then tomorrow you go back. Now, is that how it works? Well, kind of. I mean, that, that's God's goal, is that we'll come back to him, that we'll confess, that we'll put our... But what about the change? I have friends, I remember specifically in high school, and, and, and maybe you have some of this background, I had friends in um, the Catholic faith. And if you don't know much about Catholicism, one portion of it is there's a, a thing you can do, a sacrament you can do called confession. And you'll go into a special place and you'll speak to a priest and you'll say, this is the things I've, I've done wrong. And then the priest will kind of lead you towards forgiveness. And, and that's, a pretty, that's a pretty cool thing. Uh, in fact, it's biblical to confess your sins to someone else. That's fine. That's fine. But I had friends growing up uh, who were Catholic. And I remember being at a party one time with this girl. And she goes, whoo, I am going to have to go to confession tomorrow. And she was just so lit. And she was like... And, and I was like, is that how it works? And I'm not saying this to slam the Catholic faith. That's not at all. Because I grew up not in a Catholic faith, in a Protestant faith. I remember being a young child, and, and, and I remember going to bed at night and being scared that I forgot to ask God for forgiveness of every single sin I had committed that day. Got to go through the list. Like, man, was I disobedient? Was I rude? Was I, did I take something that wasn't mine? Like, what are these things that I, did I remember? As if I, if I missed one. Ooh, I don't know what might happen if I accidentally don't confess a certain sin to God. It's a good habit to try to do that kind of stuff. But I don't think that's how it works. God's grace and his forgiveness is this blanket that he gives you when you come into him as, as Lord. You say, listen, I submit to you. I'm going to live my life for you. And he knows the day we make that decision, he knows. You, you're going to mess it up. <laughs> you're going to mess it up. And when you mess it up, my grace is sufficient. But we can't live in it like a loophole for sin. Romans chapter 6 tells us, shall we go on sinning so that grace should increase? Does anybody know what it says? By no means. means. We have died to sin and cannot live in it any longer. And so there's this balance there. There's this balance there of living in God's grace, but also saying, well, what's my part? What's the change part? What's the transformation part? We talked a couple of weeks ago about, about how God's Holy Spirit moves in us and, and empowers us and gives us the ability to have the self-control and the things that we might need to move on. But what do we do? I had a friend who, uh, the guy was stuck in addiction real bad. And it was, it was the cycle. You've seen it if you had friends who are in it. It was a drug addiction. And he would do the thing. He would, he would get all wasted and crazy. And, and whenever he got out of like the hospital or the police department or wherever he was, he would, he would come back home to his wife and he'd say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I won't ever do it again, right? And he's crying and, and, and it's believable. That's confession. But then he would turn around and do it again. And he'd come back and I'm sorry. And he'd do it again. He'd come back and I'm sorry. And something happened a couple years ago. He came home one time and his wife said, no. No, that's it. I, I can't handle this anymore. When the change doesn't take place, there's often damage that's either irreparable or it takes serious, serious time. Now, I believe God's patience and his grace is bigger than any one of our wives or husbands. Amen. Praise God. (laughs) But there's a truth to the fact that when God offers us forgiveness, he wants us to take the effort to make him Lord, to change, to be transformed. And then he says, I will deal with your guilt, but what I need you to do is be honest with yourself. That's confession. That's confession to God. But, but I think there's another area of confession that we often skip, and it's confessing publicly. Let me let that just marinate. 
publicly. <laughs> Woo! I'm leaving this church and never coming back. Um, let, let, me, let me tell you what I mean by this. Uh, I don't mean that every single person needs to get on this stage and be like, okay, it was June 15th, 1997. Uh, and just start going down your list. Uh, not that kind of publicly, but let me give you a couple scenarios. Let's say I'm, I get really angry with my son. And I cross some lines and I, I mean, that's never happened, but let's just say I do. And, and, I, and, and I don't represent Jesus in that moment. And so what do I need to do? Well, I need to go to God. God, help me with my anger. I need to deal with this. But you know what else I need to do? Who do I need to go to? My son. Ask him. I've done it. And say, look, bud, back there, look, we both had some blame there. But look, I need to take my part here. And I, I went too far. I went on too long. I said some things I shouldn't have said. Whatever. When I go to my wife, I have to say, listen, here's just some ways that I have not been a great husband or not been a great father, not carried my weight in our family, right? Our confession publicly needs to kind of address the people that we've offended because it's really, really good to confess to God. But if I'm always in my prayer closet confessing to God, what does that do with my relationships to others that I continue to hurt? It's like, it's okay, I've been talking to God about it. It's okay, I've been talking to God about it. Yeah, but you're a jerk, man. Stop being a jerk. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm working on that with God. No. There's an extra layer of things that happen when we begin to confess to the people that we've offended, to the people we've sinned against, to the people that we've hurt. And I would put it in a word. The word is probably accountability. Because if I go to my friend Alex and I'm like, look, man, I messed up, man. I shouldn't have done the thing that I did. Next time I do that to him, I know that I had that conversation with him. He knows that he had that conversation with me. He might even be bold enough to say, hey, man, you all right? Remember last time we talked? This happened. And I tell you, man, I live in this lane. It's really a big part of my personal discipline. And so I know a lot of you, a, lot, a few of you, have gotten text messages from me after we've hung out and we've talked. And for me, like, maybe I went too far with a joke. And I was like, hey, listen, I, when we were hanging out earlier, I just want to let you know what I said back there, I, I, I probably shouldn't have said. And just want to let you know. Or maybe I was short with you. And I want you to know, like, listen, this happened, and I just want to be able to move past that. And I'm sorry, I'm working on that. I live in that. I've sat with my whole family and said, guys, this is where we need to be. This is the lane we got to live in because if we, want to, if we want to destroy the monster of guilt that can just control us, we've got to be willing to open up and confess. This is a huge part of the Christian walk. And most importantly, as we're pursuing these relationships with others, it will heal our relationship with God. See, sometimes confession is about guilt relief because I don't want to feel bad anymore. But when we begin our, our hearts in the right place, we start to realize that confession is not just to make me feel better. It's to restore my rightful relationship with God and the people in my life. And that helps me become the person that God created me to be. And so that's confession. Confession to God, confession publicly. Let's talk a little bit more about this confession. This is deeply rooted in the, the whole Jewish and Old Testament lifestyle. And so when, when you see the biblical writers writing about this stuff, we're going to read from James in a minute. We see 1 John, things like that. It goes back maybe to Numbers, chapter 5, verse 6 through 7. This is, what, this is Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book of the Bible. This is where some of the original precepts and governing ideas of Judaism come about and are recorded, and this is how they live their life, and Christianity springs up out of that. And so these are our roots. It says, any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord, 
<laughs> you see that connection? If you wrong somebody else, you're actually being unfaithful to the Lord. That's interesting. Is guilty. How do we unmask guilt? And must confess the sin that they've committed. They must make full restitution for the wrong that they've done. And listen to this. There's interest. I'm, CFR was here today. Roger saw my interest is in there. All God stuff. And add a fifth of value to it and give it all to the person they have wronged. Now, I know that in all cases, this may not be possible. You can't always make everything right. I mean, you, there's some things you can't undo. You can't unsay things. But the concept that this is deeply, like, like foundational to who God wanted his people to be in the book of Numbers is still true to this day. That if you wrong somebody, that if you sinned against anybody else, you've actually sinned against God, and the way to fix that is confession. Get it out in the open. Because this is something that John also talks about. He says, listen, when, when we take our sin and we leave it in the darkness, what happens with like mold and decay and festering and rot in the darkness? You know, you got stinky potatoes underneath your sink. Anybody had that? Flies and maggots and nastiness. When you leave that mess in the dark, it will be gross. But when we draw it out into the light, God is faithful. Now, here's the thing. When we put it out in the light, what I mean by the light is the presence of God. God, here it is. And people and God and everybody, here it is. Here's the thing. God saw it under the sink. He saw it in your pantry. He saw it in your closet and under your bed, wherever you hide your mess. He saw it there, too. But you're just Frankenstein hiding behind a tree. But when you can draw it out into the light, you can say, okay, cool. You want me to deal with it? I'm faithful and just, and I will forgive you of your sins and purify you of your unrighteousness. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, somebody say it, what does it say? Healed. Anybody need some of that? Just, just healing? Like so much of healing is not just sickness and doctors and medicine. It's like this spiritual and this emotional part of us. You will be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. There's power in confession publicly and to God. And I think it's because of the added accountability. I've got a group of friends. Uh, I've got a lot of groups that I, and some of you are in here. And I'm so thankful for you guys. Talk to you openly. And you talk openly to me. And I think, I think that that boundary between people, it can be dangerous if we posture with one another, talk about masks. I mean, as a person who's a leader of a church, a pastor and stuff like that, it's really easy for me to want to be like, okay, I want to kind of isolate and I don't want anybody to know my mess. But I found the more often I open up the closet, the better God can use me and the better God can use you. And so as we, as we begin to open this up, um, but probably one of my closest groups that I'm able to work with is a group of, of guys that I've been friends with since college. Uh, there's five of us. Uh, we, the, people call us the five amigos. Uh, I don't know why. We're none of us. Well, Aaron, Aaron is one quarter Mexican. So he is, he is our one quarter Hispanic friend. And then we were the five amigos. Um, but the, the five of us, um, I mean, this confession thing is huge for us. And we've been friends for over 20 years, and I've been to West Africa with them. I've been all over the country with them, driving road trips, and we vacation together with our families. And uh, now, uh, against all odds, all five of us are preachers. If you'd only had known us in college, you'd be like, they're going to all five be in jail. Um, that's where they're going to go. And we did, and we went to jail. But then when we got out, we're doing, that's a true story, I'll tell you sometime. Um, but uh, confession is a big part of our friendship, and it's the accountability piece that matters for us. And it's not like we all five sit around a campfire every time we hang out. It's like, all right, let's just bring out the dirty laundry. A lot of times, just one of us goes, all right, guys, how's it going? How's it going? Some, I'll go first. And more often, it's one of us calling just one other. Get on the phone. Look, I'm going through this hard time. 
And the more we do that, the more trust we build and the more self-control we're able to have and the more ability we're able to lean into God's Holy Spirit in our lives and do better. And like the change happens. Do you have people like that in your life? People that you can turn to, people that you can sit with and trust? Every week at the end of our teaching, we have like our elders will go stand at the back of the room and, and every now and then someone will go and talk to them. I get it, man. These guys might not be your best friends and they might not be people that you like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Can I trust them? Or Maybe it's not about trust. It's just about pride. Or it's about fear. Like, there's a lot of reasons why we don't open up. And it's fine if you don't talk to me or, or them. But who? Who? Who can you talk about about your guilt and everything else? Like, that's just one part of the things we need to have each other for. Let me tell you about a couple opportunities I want to encourage you to be part of. Uh, I mentioned our retreats coming up. Uh, help me with the dates. I believe the women's retreat is October 20th, 21st. Is that right? Ladies, men's, uh, is it 6th and 7th, 26th, 27th? So we're there, is it seven, seven and eight? Anyway, it's a Friday night, both of them, okay? And so it's one night, and I'm going to tell you, I, can, I haven't been to the ladies' retreat. I hear it's great. Um, men's retreat, look, there's a moment every time, and we don't like, we don't sit there and be like, okay, um, you know, we got to make sure everybody feels vulnerable. That's not even the goal. We're actually like, let's just be men, let's, let's eat meat and burn wood. And, but there's always a moment for almost everyone who goes, that's true. It's like the rules are don't let the fire go out and don't let the coffee pot get empty. Like those are the other, otherwise just make sure you're home on time. Um, but uh, there's always a moment where either while we're sitting around a campfire, someone just feels like they want to talk <laughs> or more often I'll see one or two guys just kind of step over and they'll just be talking. And it only happens because you set aside time for that. I want to encourage you to consider going to one of our retreats. No one's going to make you share your deepest, darkest secrets. There's not going to be a moment for that. But there will be a moment where someone else probably will. And that can give you the courage to find somebody else. Uh, try to be at one of those retreats. Uh, one of the things we're going to do at these retreats, and we always do this, is we offer opportunities for people within the retreats to then create kind of small groups. Uh, for years, we've called them our micro groups. We're actually shifting a language because it's going to be a little bit different, something called discipleship groups. I believe that anyone who, who calls Jesus their Lord needs to be being discipled. Like a disciple is a follower. A disciple is a learner. That's what the word disciple means, to learn or to follow. And so, like right now, ask yourself, am I being discipled? And if your only way you're being discipled is like, yeah, I come to church listen to Chris talk for 30 minutes every week. That's not discipleship, okay? You can get this on a podcast. You can get this on YouTube. Our sermon's on YouTube. You don't have to be here for this. Just fine. A lot of people do that. <laughs> um, discipleship is a relationship. Discipleship is when I can be like hand in hand and step in step with somebody, and, and someone can be asking me hard questions, and I can be asking them hard questions. And in our discipleship groups, it's not necessarily like someone is the rabbi and someone is the student, like Jesus and his disciples. There's a lot of co-discipleship happening. But in our retreats this year, we're hoping to just like create some of those and give you the opportunity to start some new ones. And then actually throughout the whole month of November, we're going to be talking more about that and creating. And so a couple things I'm, I'm looking for, some people who might be willing to lead a discipleship group, a discipleship group leader. We're, we're saying that they're going to be groups of about three or four. And it really helps if someone is sort of the... I don't want to use the word facilitator all the time because that feels a little bit too formal, but just someone who's like, yeah, I'll, I will make sure that the phone call happens and that we have a meeting. Our goal for a discipleship group is that you'll meet with that group once a week uh, or whatever you agree on every other week. Like, you, gotta, you can agree, and we're going to meet. We're going to be accountable. And what can you do with that group? Well, you can pray, and you can read your Bible, and you can celebrate things together. And you can serve together, but you know what you can do? Confess. Oh, man, it feels so good. You ever get something off your chest? God gives us each other for that. If you don't have a group like that in your life or some people that you can trust, I, I want to encourage you today. Make, make a note on one of these cards in your seat and just say, I, I, I need somebody. 
I can't promise you that we can like assign you someone today, but I'll tell you our leaders will be praying for you and we can reach out and we can help you find somebody. Confession cannot help happen in a vacuum. It's got to help happen with help, with friend. And confession unmasks our guilt. And it brings us to a place where we can live and glorify God with our actions and our words, our lives. My challenge for you this week is to confess. Find somebody that you can open up to. It doesn't have to be like, well, okay, there's just one big, deep, dark sin that I've never told anybody. You probably have opened up to somebody. But, but confession also happens in a couple of ways. I love what we just saw Lucas do over here in the baptistry. Do you know what he said? He said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I want to make him the Lord of my life. I want to be a God chaser. That's a form of confession. Confession isn't always about guilt. Confession is about profession. This is what I've done, but this is what I want to believe. This is how I want to live. Maybe a profession that you can do today, a confession, is listen, the water in that baptistry is warm. We had the pump going this morning. We ain't never had a baptistry in the building. Can we give it up for water and a tank? Yeah. Listen, if there's been anything keeping you from confessing Jesus as your Lord, I want to come under him and make him my, my savior, my master. Today's your day. What better thing to confess? I, I think I can promise you this. We have a container in the back here that has basketball shorts and, and some t-shirts and some stuff. Or, and you could change your clothes. Or you could just get wet. That's fine. I think Lucas's towel is still a little bit, you know, it's fine. Ring it out. <laughs> we can have baptism today and that could be part of it for you. Confession. Confession unmasks our guilt. And as we unmask these monsters, oh man, we get to walk in the truth. Because our God is faithful. He will forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. Can I pray for us today?